Hello, I'm John, the executive producer here at Final Show Films. I got a few notes for you before the show. First, I want to thank you all for watching. We couldn't do what we do or the amount of things that we do without the support of you, the viewer. If you want to support us financially, which we always appreciate, you can go to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash fsfilms, where you can donate as little as a dollar a month to help us continue this and all the things that we do. I want to give a special shout out to our $25 supporters, Antitonic, Cat Waterflame, and Samantha Bates. Uh, second, I want to let you all know that we here at Final Show Films are planning a little get-together up at Gen Con this year. That's August 2nd through 5th up at Indianapolis. We're going to be up there sort of hanging out, enjoying the con, spending time together. And if any of you guys want to come up and say hi, please feel free. We don't bite unless you want us to. And if you enjoy whatever it is you're about to watch or listen to, be sure to check out our website at finalshowfilms.com where you can find links to all of our other content, both podcast and video. And be sure to follow me at John A. Bates on Twitter for more updates on all of the content we're creating in the future. In the meantime, thanks for watching, and I hope you enjoy. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Critical Thinking, a Critical Role rewatch and narrative discussion podcast. I'm John, the executive producer here at Final Show Films, and joining me today is Jack. Hey, everybody, I'm Jack. I'm at Alt-F4Gamers on Twitter. And Jeremy. Hello, I'm Jeremy. I am Jay Thomas for Mania on Twitter. And I'm at Johnny Bates on Twitter. And just in case, for some reason, this episode popped up in your RSS feed and you haven't heard anything before this, Critical Thinking is, as I said previously, a Critical Role rewatch and nerd discussion podcast. We watch Critical Role, and we are watching Critical Role from the first episode all the way on through, and discussing the narrative uh, takeaways from each episode as we go. We're supposed to be weekly, but occasionally we're not. Anyways... <laughs> This week we're talking occasionally, <laughs> occasionally. Uh, this week, sporadic podcast. There you go. Late. Uh, this week we're talking about episode twenty-five, Crimson Diplomacy, starring Orion Acaba as Tiberius, Laura Bailey as Zexalia, Talison Jaffe as Percy, Liam O'Brien as Vaxel Don, Marisha Ray as Keyleth, Sam Regal as Scanlan, Travis Willingham as Grog, and as always, Matthew Mercer as the Dungeon Master. Previously on Critical Role, Vax got into some shit. <laughs> Vax did a dumb thing. Vax did a dumb. Uh, and uh, the 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 group of Vax Machina was invited to a feast, to a banquet, to a dinner of con- of sorts and meeting um, with uh, the Council of Amon and the Lord and Lady Briarwood, uh, who seemed to have some sort of connection with uh, Percy. What we learned was that they invaded his home of Whitestone and murdered everybody and sent him fleeing for his life. As you do when you're evil. I mean, you know, it's sort of, uh, it was a Tuesday. Um, <laughs> the best I mean. route Julia role in the universe. Uh, <laughs> um, and uh, while... Talking with them, Percy, disguised as Vax, uh, had conversation with the Briarwood in the dining room, and then after they left, Vax, hidden in the rafters, snuck after them, wanting to sort of see where they're going and sneak into... I'm not sure why he wanted to sneak into their bedroom after he knew that's where they went, but he did. Um, I mean, there were a lot of legit reasons, to be fair. Spying. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I, I, I just, I don't... I, I think what I think what happened and like there were a couple of different reasons, but I think what happened was Liam forgot 
what bedrooms are like and was thinking this was like a hotel room or something like I had an, like a, like a fancy hotel suite that had like an antechamber and things. And so that there would be room to hide once he got in and not realizing that it was in fact just a bedroom. I think that's probably what happened. Um, but either way, but for whatever reasoning, Vax uh, snuck into their bedroom where they were. Uh, and it was at that point that as Vex tried to bullshit his way out of the scenario, we discovered that um, what they want to eat him. We got very strong hints. They specifically said he would. He looked delicious. That's not a statement of vampirism. That is just a strong implication. Not a statement of vampirism. Just that they want to eat him. They could be cannibals, or they could be inducting him into some weird sex cult. I feel like that's not it. Yeah, it's not. It, the the gentility and <clears throat> and predatory nature of this statement was very strongly hinted. To be vampiric in nature. Yes. Or at the I very mean, least. Know, if they were, if they were just your average run-of-the-mill cannibals, you would have had some dialogue like something out of Borderlands. Hmm? Right. Not necessarily. They're sophisticated cannibals. I'm going to make you my late bicycle. I've, I've read Edgar Allan Poe. Uh, anyways. This is Hannibal. Ah, and Hannibal. Uh, you're thinking the Punic Wars when I don't think there was much eating of the Romans when they invaded. We're the contrary <laughs> podcast today. <laughs> <laughs> so, held magically by Lady Briarwood, Vax tries to continue talking his way out of the situation. He focuses his mind and manages to shake out the effect of the spell holding him in place, and but he's basically remaining still to make them think that he's still being held which isn't how magic works, but uh, <laughs> Lord Briarwood turns Vax towards him and stares him down. Vax looks into his eyes and feels a strange power within them, but again manages to prevent the intrusion. Uh, Vax continue, and Vax continues to act like the charm had effect, staying as still as possible and looking at the Briarwoods with awe. Uh, the guards begin banging on the door and are let in. They're told that all is well, um, but with a disappointed tone, like, all is well, but you're still going to die in the morning. Um, they're then told to leave, and they hustle out the door. And as they continue to talk, uh, Lord Briarwood hints the fact that while trying his best, Vax is less than convincing in his ruse against the two of them, because that's not how magic works. Um... Vax tries to step away uh, and uh, throws out a line about Uriel being. I don't. He threw a line about Uriel. I don't remember if it was a line about Uriel being his friend or Uriel just being a person or don't let don't don't make me tell Uriel. But something happened uh, and uh, Vax starts name dropping in a desperate yeah. to uh, <laughs> strategize his way out of this situation. But Lord Briarwood just tightens his grip on his shoulders. They chuckle again. Um, and both attack. Uh, Lady Briarwood casts a spell, which Vax manages to shard off part of the effects, as Lord Briarwood punches him in the gut, and then bite him in the neck to begin drinking his blood, at which point we get confirmation that Lord Briarwood's a vampire. Yep. Yep. Um, Generally, when you get a pair of fangs in the neck from an yeah. individual, that then, yeah. Yep. The, Knowing he's in trouble. The question yeah. is mute. mute. Uh, Vax breaks free, clicks his boots of face, bolts at the window, and yells Jenga into his earrings to alert the team that he's in trouble. Uh, which is their code word, which will remain their code word forever. 
I'm yep. not sure why Jenga is the sign that shit's going down. Because but it it's, is. A fra- it's a phrase that is unmistakable as anything but. It's not the sort of thing that you accidentally say when you're yes. trying to just carry on a normal conversation <laughs> most of the time. It's true, unless a normal conversation revolves around wanting to play Jenga. Uh, <laughs> but it, 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 he calls it out, and the rest of them uh, hear that and head for their weapons. Uh, well, Vex heads for their weapons. Kale turns into an eagle and heads in the direction of the Briarwoods, and Tiberius, uh, uh, followed by a flying Tiberius. They fly over two servants, one of whom... Uh, one of whom Keyleth, for some reason, shits on. Um, because if you have the style chain, points, why not? I'm not sure shitting on the servant <laughs> counts as style points, Jack. It's a style. It's I not didn't the say kind class of class points. I said style points. I, it, I I feel like it's not the kind of style that earns points. <laughs> I feel oh, like it's the kind points. of really these people get metaphorically shit on all day already. Now you're actually shitting on them. Demerits are a form of points. That's all. <laughs> uh, Tiberius prestigitations the poop off of her as she goes pie, uh, shouting an apology to the, to the, to the woman. Um, instead of rushing away, the girl turns and heads up the stairs behind them. As Vax lands outside the window, he tries to make a break for it, but finds himself again held in place magically. Uh, he falls to the ground, annoyed and cursing the woman, as he hears Silas land behind him hard. Uh, he also hears one of the dressers inside explode. Um, outside the hall, Vax yells at a servant to get Uriel and bring him, as there are enemies inside the castle. And as they move forwards uh, where they believe Vax to be, Lady Briarwood jumps from the window and promptly falls on her ass, because she's not a vampire. So here's the uh, thing uh, about the go get Uriel. Thing. <laughs> yeah. If I can, if I can interject go for a minute, go moment. ahead, interject away. <clears throat> um, so we've only very briefly met Uriel. Um, he is the emperor of Taldore. Yada yada yada. Mm-hmm. Um, but he has he has proven himself or has been described as a very able bureaucrat, excellent administrator, good ruler. There's been very little indication that he is any good in a fight, though. That's true. No, in, uh, in, in fact, fact, the opposite has been proven. Yes. <laughs> it's been established that they have had to save his ass in the past. Right. Now, it might be a reasonable, reflective, reflexive sort of thing of quick go get the person in charge, shit's going down. Why do you do you think it was a tactically valid decision? Well, I think the objective there wasn't necessarily get Uriel. We need help from Uriel, but let the king, let the emperor know there are enemies in the castle, so we get guards. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In which case, I would feel like it would be more effective to say, "Call the guards." And because that actually, you, like this is this is a this is a fantasy version of. Like Olympus has fallen and all that sort of all those movies that have had varying levels of success at being movies, um, wherein you have an antagonistic force that has made their way into a secured location and may have aggressive uh, impetus against the established uh, established authority structure. When when terrorists invade the White House, 
And you don't talk, call for the president. Uh, hypothetical White House, not our current White House. Um, the idea <laughs> Let's be the clear. Right. Uh, the idea would be get the president to safety. So it's call the Secret Service, get Uriel out of here. Yeah, no, that's fair. If you're, if you're thinking of a, if you're thinking of right now, there, there is, I think, a great character moment of if you deconstruct this of Vax or whoever's doing the yelling, Vex, Vex doing who's doing the yelling, being completely in a panic and out of her depth, and not necessarily making the wisest tactical decision because not everybody in an emergency is always firing on all all cylinders. But it was an interesting moment, I thought, that warranted a bit of deconstruction. So, two things. Um, First of all, I will argue the merits of Olympus has fallen for days. Okay. Um, (laughs) Because that is a fucking stellar, big, dumb (laughs) action film. (laughs) And knows it's a big, dumb action film, as opposed to White House Down, which is a piece of shit. Anyway. Maybe that's the one I was thinking of. Okay. That's the one with Channing Tatum and Jamie Foxx. That's the one I was Um, thinking of. Okay. Yeah. That movie fucking sucks. Yes. But, um, and second, yeah, it probably wasn't the most tactical decision, but this brings up a really good thing that, that, that I always appreciate in, 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 in fantasy storytelling, in D and D, in uh, action oriented storytelling as a rule. And that is the character who is not going to go in with his sword and slaughter everybody, but the person who is powerful because of who he is. You don't see this a lot. You don't see this nearly enough um, in in a lot of uh, uh, action or, like, they're usually portrayed as... as if, for lack of a better term, the damsel, the person who needs to be saved, gotten to safety, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I always really like the idea of somebody who, sure, he's not going to run into, he's not going to be able to run into a combat with his ginormous sword or his 14 guns or whatever the case may be and, and, and slaughter everybody. But he's the more dangerous person by far in every other situation. Um, I know that uh, we don't. We don't. Our group doesn't encounter this as much. But in a lot of D and D games, there's there's this tendency of oh, they don't have class levels, for example. They're not. They're nothing. We don't. We don't need to worry about them. Um, and I always really like it when those kinds of characters are are get a chance to be treated as just as important as the ones who can slice through an entire army. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Which brings up an interesting concept. And especially as you, as writers, develop characters, especially characters in any sort of uh, competitive or situation of conflict, Game of Thrones springs to mind. Mm -hmm. The difference between strength 
power, and influence. Yep. <clears throat> you know, because you've got... Strength characters are ten, tend to be the most simple. They're the guy who's excellent with a blade. They're the wizard who knows all the nastiest spells. You know, that sort of thing. You're able to, as an individual, perform physical acts of... <coughs> of effect on your surroundings on other people you know but it's it's and that's your baseline Mm -hmm. and then you have influence who is the guy who doesn't have that but who has connections your 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 peter baelish's you know who who blackmail or diplomat or espionage their way around to the point where they can get things done but in a very indirect sort of fashion um where they can they can puppet uh, other people around them, and but mm-hmm. then you have raw power that is the king, who is by by social and and <clears throat> and philosophical assent of more or less everybody around them. When they say something, it gets done because they're the person who's allowed to say things, and they have the people who say yes, sir, yes, ma'am, whoever, and get shit done. Yep. And the balance between those three variations, and most people have varying, most good characters have varying levels of all of them. You know, yeah, sure, somebody with a ton of influence but very little power is still able to pick up a knife and stick it in somebody's back if they really need to, and they're given the opportunity. Very few times does somebody have no strength whatsoever. It's more common that people have low levels of influence and power because those things take time or uh, in a lot of sort of fantasy settings, you know, you have to be born in the right house or to the right people in order to, to possess or be in a position where you would have access to those. And it's, but there's, there's a lot of different narrative potential around the idea of exploring how those three aspects of being able to get shit done can interact. Yeah. And in, when there's also the issue of in D and D in particular, it tends to lean on that first axis, that strength mm-hmm. aspect, because that's ostensibly what all the classes are built for. Like they, they right. can, they can do other things, but they're all also built to do things in combat. Yeah, most in combat most mechanics are built around strength. Um, and then the other two sort of happen as you play, if mm-hmm. that's the kind of game you're running. Um, right. like eventually you can theoretically become, uh, you know, a, a mastermind head of a cartel or something if you play right. But anyways, um, also just, just to cut back to why call Uriel, I, I definitely think like, like from a, from a narrative perspective, I think, get the guy in charge is a really handy way for a writing perspective to sort of get your key pieces together. Mm-hmm. Um, like, yeah, ma- tactically not the best idea. No, but dramatically it, it works. It's something that might reasonably be said by people who don't have the experience of, you know, the security or the guards or whatever. Um, yeah. Like, they don't know like that in this situation, Vex doesn't know who the most badass fighter is to call. So, so get the person who might know. Yeah. And in many, and not all, but in many uh, fantasy settings, the king is the most badass fighter. You know, there are, there, there are many, many settings have warrior kings and, and mm-hmm. mage kings and things like that. So it's not, 
out in a, in a fantasy setting in a fantasy setting in in particular it's not out of the out of the realm of possibility to call the king uh when shit he's doing um so uh yes lady briarwood fell on her ass <laughs> to, to bring us back to where we're at uh Looking up uh, in, in the window behind her, Seeker Asum can be seen reloading a crossbow. She gets up, dusts herself off, and unleashes a spell at Vax, uh, which racks his body and causes him to convulse. I don't remember what spell it was, but it was some it sort might of have been blight. Mm-hmm. It was either blight or like finger of death or some sort of necromantic spell. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, he sort of ha- which which caused him to have sort of mental flashes of visions of Keyleth and his sister and uh uh yeah because it knocked uh, him down because as the spell hit him he went unconscious making mm-hmm. a silent prayer to Saren Ray to keep his friends safe Vex senses something is wrong with a strange feeling washing over her that she's never felt before and she focuses on her hunter's mark finds Lady Briarwood and bolts off in that direction which is not something that you honestly see in a lot of at least recent uh, works at least not in my experience the idea of the the internal thought life because liam goes into quite a little monologue about sort of the last things that v- vax thinks about before he finally goes unconscious yep. yep you know and especially in sort of the the tv and film uh things unless it's like kind of an indie art film or something like that the the ideas of what is actually going through the character's brain in these moments is well, sometimes explored, but usually fairly briefly. It's, it's a very theatrical thing. Right. It's a very it's, theatrical moment. You, you see uh, that a lot. A lot more in, easily accomplished in like novel form and writing, but. Well, you, you see it actually, I think most often you see this in theater. And uh, one of the biggest examples mm-hmm. of the past few years, Hamilton. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, the very end of Hamilton, he goes through basically like, like like they have a song that is Hamilton's life flashing before his eyes. Well, I mean, most <laughs> and all of his last thoughts. Most pro- I think most prominent musicals, d- Rent did all did that. A oh lot. yeah, Rent I mean, one song Glory is an entire song that basically takes place in in. Uh, oh my god. Hit well, that character's head. Yeah, um, and in, in next to normal, they have an entire song that takes place between the jolts of ECT. Yeah, like uh, yeah, it's a it's it it is a genre where you are literally singing your your internal thought process. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's also something that you don't see all the time. But I, I and this is where I I think. <laughs> The influence might have come into play here because obviously this whole this this is a a cast of voice actors, a lot of whom have worked in this uh, in this medium, but you see it a lot in anime. You do, though. Where, I think where, where you know not not obviously they're not they won't necessarily literally give voice to it, but they will cut to that. Shot of them looking intense and As the slightly incredible. hollow version of the of of their their voice. Mm-hmm. Um, though, though in Liam's case, I would lean more on theater because he is a theater kid. He always has been. He openly admits it as being one of his favorite things. So, yeah. 
but that is uh, that is also another potential uh, influence with anime. Mm-hmm. But there was some glorious character development in that entire little sequence that, that, mm-hmm. pulled, all, that pulled out there. And yeah, I don't. I think I think writers and and performers should never be afraid to explore the internal trains of thought. Well, no, yeah. it's it's a very powerful thing, especially in instances like this. It's something that what sidebarring. Um, one of the, as we Wait, all were sidebarring. Yeah, that's never happened sidebar. before. The way you connect emotion. It, it's this is sort of a cheap way to connect emotionally with an audience, but it's effective. Is by playing on. Uh, on things that we all share. And I say cheap because it doesn't take a lot of effort to get it to work. Um, in, in this particular case, most people, not all, but most people have this understandable fear of death or at least some sort of emotional connection to death, whether it be fear mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, so. of the time when you put an audience in front of a scene where somebody is potentially about to die and have them voice their last thoughts, that will get an emotional reaction from an audience 99% of the time because the first thing you do is connect it to, oh, God, what would my last thoughts be? Mm-hmm. And and that gets an emotional reaction, whether it's tears, whether it's fear, whether it's whatever you're looking for. Um, so it's, it, and it's, it is a cheap trick. It really is it can, because it's, it's using, utilizing that inborn psychology in, in everybody, but it's a good cheap trick in that if you really want to drive home the effect of this person or the effect of their sacrifice or whatever, it's a really good way to sort of make, to literally pause the action at that moment and make the audience reflect on what's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, in film, this is often done with slow motion in a choir of angels, which isn't quite as effective because uh, we've seen that a thousand times. And it doesn't, yeah. it, we've seen that enough that, it, that we're desensitized from it. But something about last words, Mm-hmm. It, it, no matter how many times you see it or experience it, it always has that sort of gut reaction to it. Right. Even yeah. even if it's Russell Crowe's hand brushing over a field of grass as you see his wife yeah. and child, you know, out in the – it's like, yeah. okay, yeah, we, we get what you're doing here. But yeah, no, there's still – And even if you intel- intellectually know what's happening, it still triggers a response. Right. Yeah, there's – right. Mm-hmm. Just remember – that it doesn't work if those it if that choir of angels is Transformer Angels, fuck you, Revenge of the Fallen. It's true. <laughs> there is there is a level of disconnect when it's a robot dying. <laughs> no no. No no. This was a person dying who was going to Transformer Heaven. I'm not was, kidding you. What was who was the who was the actor? Sam Witwicky. It was it was Shia my, sta- my, my statement sins. <laughs> <laughs> hey, if you haven't seen him watching his own movie, if you've seen him watching his own movies, you cannot say he's a robot because whatever you think of that guy, I wasn't talking about. I wasn't talking about things ever. I was talking about Shia LaBeouf. I was talking about Sam <laughs> Okay, that's a, that's a, that's a fairly valid. Point. <laughs> 
Uh, so yeah. <laughs> in short, fuck that movie. Also, also in short, deathbed monologues are a really good way to sort of cheat an emotional reaction out of your audience. Yes. Um. So yeah, we get that, and then the party runs. Uh, Scanlan, knowing that he can't keep up, uh, uses a dimension door to slide ahead. But not knowing where he's trying to go, finds himself in a strange room. Uh, specifically, the room that uh, Seeker Assume is leaping out of. Uh, he... Uh, 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 he sees... Sorry, no. He sees the Seeker to his left, and outside of a window, he sees his friend lying on the ground, with Silas hovering over him. Uh, Tiberius, getting out... Uh, <laughs> Tiberius running to the doorway lets loose a fireball on the guards standing outside the door turning one to Ashley and the other one barely standing blowing the doors because why the fuck not I will remind you these guards belong to Uriel not Uh, Lady Briarwood Tiberius god damn you yeah yeah, yeah. He yells at the remaining guard who falls back while still smoking from the blast. Uh, the servant they had passed before charges up the stairs behind them, dashes forward, passes on guard into the room, and sees Scanlan standing there. Assume tells her to go away, but she ignores him and pushes further in. The seeker leaps out the window, interposing himself between Lord Briarwood and Vax's body, at which point I have the question of how fucking high was Lord Briarwood hovering, or how fucking low was this window? <laughs> I mean, I had the impression that it was a moderately low. I don't know, second story maybe. Like I, I felt like it was a second story window. So is Briarwood hovering fifty feet above? Like how, how do you jump from second story window to interpose yourself between guy on ground and guy hovering above him? There's, there's a, there's a. There's some. There's some. D&D. Physics gets weird sometimes. There's. This isn't physics. This is geometry. <laughs> I mean, no. It is. It is possible. You, if you manage to time your leap right, you can land on the ground in between them. Huh? On. He's above him. Is he exactly one hundred percent above him? I don't know. Like, uh, that, that's that's fair. I don't know. That's where, right. <laughs> like if he's back just a little bit, you and even if he's directly above him, then you just leap directly on top of Vax and then you're interposed. Wham! If there are like you do the so, three okay. point landing directly around his body. So assume body. So assume uh, 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 body slams Vax. Okay, <laughs> or 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 sorry, uh, belly flops on Vax. No, no, he does the th- he does the superhero three point landing and right. like perfectly and like right around the body. Spine. Yep, <laughs> probably teabagging Vax. Vax. Vax in the process. All right, assume leaps and teabags Vax. We'll go with that. <laughs> <laughs> that works. Oh, it's it's. I mean, it's it's only right that that happened, considering Tiberius just annihilated two of the king of the emperor's guards. Yep. Uh, which that I I think that comes up, but I don't think he gets punished for it. Not really. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll see in a minute. Uh. 
So yeah, uh, he interposes himself between Lord Briarwood and Vax's body, um, dragging him away slightly as Silas slashes at him, uh, ripping flesh away. Uh, Silas charges back over, staring the seeker down, and he tells him that he that that this is not his concern. And Asuma apologizes and steps away, uh, seeing the classic vampiric mesmerizing with the eyes ability. Um, Silas Briarwood, Ventru. Yep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, or, 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 or La Sombra. Yeah. There's a couple. Or a very, very w- well put together Malkavian. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't, don't Bruja also get the all abil- the presence ability? They get presence, not dominate. Uh, it could be a Tremere then, although he doesn't catch yeah, Tremere. Tremere uh-huh. is also a possibility. Uh. Actually, I think Tremere probably works best in this situation. Uh-huh. Now that we've conflated Old World of Darkness <laughs> and 5th edition D&D. I mean, two, one of my favorite hobbies. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, so yeah, Assume apologizes and steps away, leaving Vax's body sitting there. Keyleth flies into the room, grabbing a now-confused scale, and tries to get him into the fight. I say tries, because I don't think she succeeds. Um, he he kind of struggles when a giant bird comes in and grabs him, as you would do, naturally. Um, I mean, this is one of the most confusing, motivational, and f- greatest fights of the first several episodes. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, nobody knows exactly what's going on, but it's so well done. Yep. Vex rounds the corner, seeing her brother seemingly dead on the ground, charges an arrow with lightning, drilling Delilah in the chest and arcing in, uh, arcing both to Silas and Asum. Uh As the first one lands, she's already... Uh, shot a second one uh, through the blazing bowstring, which also hits. Delilah yells out, now seeing another threat uh, to them closing in, and turns to her attacker and unleashes an angry beam of energy, nearly ripping Vex's soul from her mortal form. As that we, was Finger of Death. That was Finger of Death, as we see more and more necromancy being put out <laughs> on display. Get used to seeing Finger of Death. It will have, come up often. Have you figured out yet Delilah's a necromancer? <laughs> Um, she has a go-to spell and it's particularly when certain characters are involved yep she falls back near her husband trying to gauge the coming foes Tiberius flies into the room trying to figure out where they all are but unable to find a good target (laughs) (laughs) because because he spent too much time killing the emperor's guards (laughs) Um, Grog rounds the corner just behind Vex, bounding past her in a heated rage and lets loose a massive roar. Lady Briarwood looks at him, smiles, and gives him a little wink. Using Grog as a distraction, Scalen whispers a healing word out the window to his fallen friend. Vax awakes, but sends, snaps awake, but remains still as he feels the, the world returning around him. Um, Scalen sings out through his hand cone, trying to suggest, capital S, that Lady Briarwood give her husband some love. But she fights off his words and now is looking at him. The servant girl leaps onto the bed and casts a spell at Lord Briarwood. A crown of dark, a crown of uh, dark energies forms around his head, and I think it's at this point we find out that she's a guest character. Yes, yes. As the servant girl, as the servant girl uh, uh, comes out and casts spells, we're introduced to Kit Bus, uh, the artist for Critical Role, who is guesting as Lilith Daturai. Uh, a cousin of um, Zara. Zara. 
who we will but that that fact will emerge later that fact will emerge later but at this point is when we when we learn that this is not just a random npc it's actually a player character uh who comes into the room and joins them at the table um now talking about guest reveals if this was a TV show or a movie, this would be the moment where the hooded figure in the corner turns and pulls back the hood to reveal Aragorn, son of oh. Arathorn, son of Arathor, son of Agrabon, son of Steve. <laughs> or Steve. I was going to say not a somebody who distinctly looks like a important figure rather than a random schmuck in the background. Well, and that's <laughs> literally what happens here. Yeah. Because Lilith goes from random servant to all of a sudden the firm changes and she's a tiefling. Ta-da! Yeah. It's literally the, the, the hidden secret reveal. Yep. Um, but, uh, uh, it, it, yeah. So, what, what do you guys think about that sort of reveal in a narrative context? Is it, is it overused? Is it underused? Is it cheap? Is it cool? What do you think? Yes, all of the above. All of the above. Um, yeah. it depends, mm-hmm. really. Like, it's all about execution. It's all about how you do it. Um, well, as as all storytelling things are, to be fair, I'm I'm of the very strong opinion that. There is no concept that cannot work if you can figure out how to make it do so. Um, I think that this kind of reveal, it's something that you have to be very careful with, but if you do it right, it can be so effective. Like, Uh you don't want to telegraph it too much. But at the same (laughs) token, you don't want to have the the sudden here, you know, the sudden important character pop up and steal the thunder of your main heroes. That is that is a pitfall that many, many storylines fall into is that we've been following um uh, we've been following the, this this character for two seasons now or 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 three books and we're sort of used to what they're what they're able to do we've settled into a nice cool groove with them and all of a sudden you come you bring someone in and they're coming to the rescue and if they are coming to the rescue they have to be better at something or or they have to be able appear more capable than your protagonist and all of a sudden the concern here is that you're introducing this new character can diminish the um, the perception of your main characters. Obviously, that's not what happens here. If you do it right, it, 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 it can come off really well and can come off as a very cool, memorable moment. Well, and, um, it, and, it, and it really depends on how you've built up the character to that point. Yes, like, yeah, if you've built this character to be this unstoppable demigod, and then somebody comes in and more unstoppables them, uh, then that makes the character seem sort of diminished. But if you've got a character who has been built to be sort of piddly and, and, and not that great, but overcomes challenges through sheer strength of will or force of arms or luck or whatever, then having the person come in and be more competent is just sort of same old, same old. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Um, but yeah, no, it, stuff like that reminds me of Pat Rothfuss's um, explanation on the difference between ideas and execution. Uh, he frames it frequently in the terms of value, but any concept can be utilized. <clears throat> what makes it good or bad is how it's utilized. Correct. How it's taken taken into the the greater fabric of the narrative. That's sort of something we've talked about previously, like right. in regards to Tiberius. Like the yeah. character that Tiberius plays is a very useful and beneficial character when utilized correctly. Not in this case, but I mean, when you <laughs> <laughs> he, when they get their comeuppance is when we we learn our lesson, and mm-hmm. Tiberius doesn't. Yeah. Um. So yeah, the servant girl leaps out of the bed and casts a spell at Lord Briarwood. A crown of dark energy starts to form starts to form around his head. He manages to resist it, and and as he does, the servant's form changes and becomes a that of a pale white tiefling. As she looks up at the new target, Percy pulls out. As he looks up at the new target, Percy pulls out bad news and bellows Silas, which is what William, which is where William got his uh, text tone from. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, as he fires. Uh, the boss slamming to his shoulder and getting his attention. Turns at per- uh, turns as Percy reloads, and their eyes meet. The Lord looks to his wife and tells her, Look, dear, the pup yet lives. Before the second shot removes a large section of flesh from his right forearm. Assume steps to the side, his action seemingly not his own, and fires a pair of bolts at Grog. The first misses wide, the second one lands. Barely feeling it, Grog snaps the wood off and continues his charge forward. Silas grabs at Vax, trying to get him again, but he suddenly hears, Fetal deedle diddle distraction. <laughs> <laughs> as Scanlan calls out from inside the room allowing Vax to dodge out of the way uh, Scanlan <laughs> grasping at straws for his for his inspiration what one was that? Fiddler on the Roof or some shit? no that wasn't that was just that, uh, like, yeah, that's, that's sort of I guess the, 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 the reference there is um, Fee-Fi-Fo-Fum oh right right right, right. Hmm. Fee-Fi-Fo-Fum Ice with the Blood of an Englishman I'll grind his bones to make my bread, etc., etc. Um, just with fetal diddle diddle distraction, but uh, Scanlan again grasping at straws, really for for what to say in this surprising uh, series of events, which is fairly fitting. Um, it, it also makes it an interesting character moment of Scanlan the bard, the talker, the guy who is supposed to know all the things to say, running out of things to say. Uh, Keyleth flies down, dropping Scanlan off and returning to her normal form, uh, also casting a quick healing spell on Vax, who jumps up and runs past her with a strange look, trying to put some distance between him and the Briarwoods. Uh, his sister drinks a healing potion and fires off a pair of arrows, the first missing, but not missing, missing, but not by much. Um, the second, uh, Silas knocks away with a snarl. Delilah tells Silas to deal with these people while she focuses on Tiberius, now in the window, because... Uh, Tiberius is now a magical threat. Um, he tries to counter her spell and fails. At which point the audience cheers. Um, <laughs> he can't as energy slams into his mind. He grabs his head as pain hits him instantly and his mind is reduced to a primal nature as he has been feeble-minded. Now, as much shit as we give Tiberius, and re- as a reminder, this is Tiberius, the character, not the actor behind him. Um, I I do have to give a lot of props to Ryan Akaba for playing the feeble mind. Yes, mm-hmm. because he becomes a lizard. 
<laughs> and he lizards it up like he that like it is it is quite funny uh, the level to which he lizards at this point yep yeah no orion did a great job taking his arguably min-maxed to a point character beyond which any of the other players have developed theirs and just turning it on a dime and immediately saying, oh, okay, this is what I am now, fine. <laughs> and yeah, he, he he plays it to the hilt and does a great job. Yep. And he darts out of the room, down the hallway, looking for someone to help. Because <laughs> now he is a lizard. Uh, Grog closes the gap and throws his flaming warhammer, connecting the chest of the vampire as he yanks the chain and raises his next attack. Scanlan, now at the front of the group, let's go a lightning bolt, which is his signature uh, hip-thrusting... Uh, 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 pelvic thrusting lightning bolt, groin, groin bolt, mm-hmm. crotch, crotch lightning. I believe yes. is the uh-huh. uh, is the correct term. Um, they both manage to dodge part of it. The electricity just skipping past them, uh, but they still take a little bit of damage because that's how lightning bolt works. Uh, you don't truly dodge lightning bolt. You just get out of the way of most of it. Um. The tiefling in the room moves to the window and casts a spell in his direction, uh, in in their direction, which avo- which is avoided. Um, and Percy strides forward again, doing his full. Uh, what's the reference here? A person walking forward under a hail of bullets, firing guns while yelling. Ah, uh, it's not it's not specifically Rambo, but. Because when Rambo does it, nobody's firing back. Uh, That's true, but <laughs> it still sort of works. Or um, uh, there is diehard impersonation. Like, name one of like seventeen different Robert Rodriguez protagonists: uh, oh. uh, the Mariachi, um, uh, whatever the fuck. Basically, Johnny I mean, Depp's character's name was in the sequel to that. The sorry, the third one, film. One of in Mexico, yeah, yeah. Um, although he did it while blind. Um, but yeah, that 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 western, yeah. that spaghetti western scene. <clears throat> yes. Of person, actually, no. The the actually the one that I'm the one that I was thinking of was um, uh, Robert Redford and. Uh, 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 Sundance. Um, no, fuck. Butch uh, Cassidy and Sundance Kid. Kid. Yes, that's it. The the final the end scene from Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid. Um, yeah, Percy doing his best Sundance impersonation as he as he runs forward, yelling out again, Silas, uh, firing at uh at Silas. <clears throat> he actually, uh, sorry, he actually shoulders bad news and pulls out the list and just fires the entire uh everything in the gun, uh, which hits, hits, misses, hits. Uh, basically, I think he uses action and his, uh, I think he also, this is where he uses his action surge as well. Yeah. Just Probably. walking forward, the firing. Box basically goes fully <coughs> auto at this point. Yeah. <laughs> Squeeze. He keeps squeezing the trigger till you run out of bullets. Um... Silas holds up his nearly ruined arm as the flesh begins to knit back together and lunges forward, drawing a massive greatsword from his back and attacking Grog. Swings twice, both landing. The Goliath managed to resist the magical effects on the blade, but still feels the pain of the slash. Um, Grog snarls back at him, ready to engage in hand-to-hand combat. Uh, 
which intimidates Silas, and you got to give it to Grog for intimidating the vampire. Yep. Uh-huh. Uh, who steps back as Grog slams the hammer into his side and causes him to retreat. Caleb takes his retreat as, an advantage, as, as, a, as a chance to cast Sleet Storm, making the area icy and difficult to move around in, and both Briarwoods are caught in the area. Um, Vax tosses some daggers at Silas, which misses, and he continues to step back and drinks a potion. Vex finds a holy a, a, a holy arrow in her quiver and fires it uh, at Silas through his cloak uh, with the radiant energy causing serious damage to him. The second holy arrow following after. Uh, Lady Briarwood steps forward, seeing her husband hurt and uses Dimension Door to get them out of danger. Vex uses her hunter's mark to sense them and knows they aren't far away. They all take off after them, around the corner to see their carriage moving towards the palace gates. Percy takes a shot, blasting out the wheel, blasting the wheel off the carriage as Keyleth casts another sleet storm in the area. Uh, the carriage tips over on the ice, sliding across the cobblestones and coming to a stop near the now closed gates. Tiberius arrives outside the main doors and sees the scene. He's too far away to help, but cannot find anything else to do. Uh, the door pops open, and the pair inside climb partially out. Uh, Lady Briarwood tells Percy that he is always welcome at home and that he really should visit his family. Vex grabs the exploding arrow that Percy made, lets it fly into the carriage, sending bits of wooden cloth flying all over the courtyard, and we get our um, we get our Michael Bay vehicle explosion here. Yep. <clears throat> um, the carton, there's very little fire. I mean, it's a vehicle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's enough fire. <laughs> <laughs> If this was if this was filmed, this would be the Michael Bay style explosion of the yep. you, you, you know you get a close up on Vex, close up on the on the on the exploding arrow. Mm-hmm. Um, you'd watch the arrow fly in slow motion, cut through the cut through the carriage, and then explosion. Um, the two of them stand tall, the smoke clears, uh, oh. and was that? Oh, and I was going to say, and it would all be shot from a low angle. I, it would it, it would actually it would, it would have a corkscrew on it. It would start high and then corkscrew low, like around the arrow. Not based on like the last ten movies he's done. Well, that's because the last ten movies he's done, there's been not, there's never been anything that small to focus on. <laughs> yeah, you're not wrong there. <laughs> They've all been ginormous. Yeah. Well, eh, there was that that that. No, no, with, with, with an arrow flying, you start you start with the camera at the tip, and then you go over top, and then around and down. That is far too dynamic a shot for for Michael Bay. <laughs> that is Not- far- <laughs> even in The Rock, he never did anything like that. <laughs> no, the explosion is Michael Bay, though. Yes, the explosion is totally Michael Bay. Anyways, um. <laughs> Moral of the story, we hate Michael Bay. <laughs> I don't hate Michael Bay, I just hate his movies. <laughs> I mean the man no, the man makes money. That's like you gotta give that to him. <laughs> Anyways. Uh the two Briarwood stand up out of the thing. Delilah Castle let's probably get them out of there. Uh in, in a rage, uh as, as they disappear, Percy Raging as if he was a barbarian, yep. grabs the driver and demands an information. When he is less than forthcoming, Percy shoots him in the hand. <laughs> as you do. Yeah. Now, uh, so, I, I, I seem to recall that this episode, 
Talison got a lot of shit for this one. He oh yeah, but this is the first time you really see this Dark is Percy. so amazing. Like I think anybody who's seen our our shows, our our our, our campaigns, knows that I like playing characters with dark sides. I like playing characters. That who, doesn't sound like you at all. <laughs> who, when it comes to a moral question, very well might make the wrong choice with me knowing it's the wrong choice. So I really appreciate when characters, because in a lot of media and in a lot of storytelling, the big problem is the big problem that I see is that writers and creators are not willing to let their characters be flawed. It's Superman syndrome. It's, it's, it's Cyclops syndrome. Um, of, and these characters get boring because you always know what they're going to do. They're always going to make the correct choice. Cyclops only became really interesting after Emma Frost got her claws into it. Um, so when, when characters have these kinds of moral questions and they choose <clears throat> what is the quote-unquote wrong choice, or, you know, the, they fall to the dark side a little bit, that's interesting to me because it's not what you see in a lot of media and it creates a more interesting character who can later reflect on that or who can have a redemptive art, which I think is much more powerful than in a situation like this. If Percy had been like, all right, well, let's pick this guard up and let's carry him to jail and let's question him there. No, this is much more interesting and much more compelling of a story arc. Yeah. Yep. No, I agree. Uh, and yeah, and it's also it's also real. Like it's, uh-huh. it's, one, it's one of the reasons why it gets a big visceral reaction from people is because it's like I have anger issues. Legit, me the person in real life has anger issues. I would be right there with Percy. Yep. <laughs> like Excuse me, tell me what I need to know. No? Bam! Tell me what I need to know. Yeah. I might kick him in the face instead of shooting his hand off. But then again, my family wasn't slaughtered by 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 guard or by yeah. by these people. Like it's sort of it's one of those things where there's a there there is this and I, I also enjoy playing that that type of character. Uh, but there, there's there's this expectation of heroes being heroic, and when they're not, it shakes you. Um, and it's it's one of the reasons why never meet your heroes is a thing that people say. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it's it's this there's an expectation, and Percy just failed it. Yep. And I I I, I agree. I think the failing that expectation is the far more interesting story. Yeah. And upholding it. Um, so yeah, Percy. The young man begs Percy not to shoot him again. <laughs> <laughs> As you would. Uh, and tells Percy that his family's... That he, Percy asks about his family. He tells them they're all dead. Uh, that if he tells them anything further, they'll find him and kill him too. Uh, Percy assures him that a lack of information now will result in a much swifter death. He then, <laughs> he then pistol whips the guy. As you do. 
<laughs> Keyleth reminds him that there's a prison cell in the keep and he should be taken there. And that's the other thing about this is it's in a bigger ensemble thing like this. It's a lot easier for you to have one character go dark because there's other people who can step in and be the voice of reason without concern of that character going to going to a place that you can't come back from necessarily. Yeah. A pair yeah, of girls. He still has his safety net of friends around. Yes. For now. Uh, a pair of guards notice the tiefling and try to question and imprison her. Vax stops them, pointing out that she was helping them in the fight. And Keyleth, apparently learning from Tiberius, tells them that they are lowly guards and they need not bother with the affairs of those more important than they are. I'll remind you, these are the Emperor's guards. But fortunately, Grog is standing behind her, so they stand down. Uh, Tiberius manages to sniff out Alora, who, who has difficulty calming him down, but can see that the magical enfeeblement has been, has been put on him. Uh, as the rest of the, and the rest of the group asks about the tiefling, who is named Lilith. There she, is a thing I would advise to anybody <clears throat> writing, writing fiction. Mm-hmm. If, if your character... If a character decides they're strong enough to go toe-to-toe with the cops, that character should be very quickly reminded that while they might be able to take on a cop, there are always going to be a lot more cops than there are characters. Yep. It's true. And also, the cops aren't in charge because they are the strongest and have the best guns and the best training. The cops are in charge because they have the weight of society behind them which no single protagonist is ever really going to be in that much of a position to stand up entirely by themselves too yeah though they may snark at and insult constantly cough cough jeremy cough (laughs) what (laughs) (laughs) uh but yeah no they're like you 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 can certainly smart off to the cops but you can't fight the cops yeah because uh, they will win eventually. They will. Uh, a pair of guards... Sorry, I, I was just at that. Kayla tells him the lowly guards. Tiberius finds Laura. blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Uh, so, they, yeah, they, they try to question Lilith about her past, but she basically tells them, we, we don't really have time for that. We have more pressing matters to deal with. And as they talk, a strange eye-like sigil flashes across her chest, which causes her to panic. Uh, she casts an illusion on herself, uh, but agrees to go with Vox Magna until she can find a way to remove the mark of the broker, the man who's been searching and tra- searching for and tracking her. Lilith asks that they leave her to her troubles, mentioning that she knows who they are and being some of the group that traveled with her cousin Zara. As they make leave, Uriel bellows from the top of the stairs, stopping them in their tracks. He looks over the situation. The various members quickly point out Vax's injury, and Percy tells them of the death of his family at the hands of the Briarwoods. In some doubt, Lilith breaks out into a panic fit, talking about flames and teeth and tails, before being hit with the vapors and being consoled by Vex. Uh, Keyleth changes into a horse and has Vex and has Vax jump on. Along and along with Vex, they head towards the Temple of Sarenray, leaving Uriel to uh, uh, to figure out what the hell's going on. <laughs> Pretty much. The rest of the group, with Lilith in tow and the animalistic sorcerer, they arri- uh, 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 arrive. Uh, yeah, they're heading uh, to the Temple of Serenry. Right? Yeah, sorry, this, 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 the thing that I'm reading was formatted weird. Um, 
But they arrive at the temple, and ha- and the head cleric brings them inside. And then mm-hmm. after a few minutes, he manages to remove the field mind curse from Tiberius, who has been licking everyone at uh, one at a time, as well as doing some minor healing and placing herbs in- on Vax's puncture wound on the neck. The cleric assures him that in a few days' time, Vax will be fine. There's no fear of him turning into an undead assassin, unless something else is involved. Incidental foreshadowing. <laughs> uh, I forgot about that. <laughs> Uh, uh, they leave much happier than they were a few minutes ago as Vax lets out, and, and and Vax lets out a celebratory scream to celebrate being alive. Uh, glad to be together, they all head. Uh, they all begin to walk back to Grayskull as it is now almost two in the morning, and they hear a voice yep. from behind them, seeing a tiefling flanked by two other people. He says that he's looking for a fugitive, and she happens to be with them right now. Marius <sighs> takes a position between Lilith and these newcomers as Keyleth casts anti-life shell around the group to protect them. A few people, a seemingly human, ba- human man in a mask and elderly female, both slide sideways to flank the group. The broker tells Lilith that there are a few women who wish to speak to her back home, and she tells him that she hopes her sister's face still festers. He casts a spell to become less visible, but at this time, Tiberius is quick to counter, leaving the broker open to attack. Lilith casts Phantasmal Killer, lashing out with psychic, lashing out with psychic damage, and instilling massive fear in the bounty hunter. Vex uh, sends Trickett uh, at the broker and his male friend, who charge forward, and then begins rolling, slamming into them with the first and like one of three times uh, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, um, Trickett actually uses the rolling attack. Uh. As he slashes at the as he slashes at the passing bear, Vax, or Vax fires an arrow at the tiefling, and Tiberius follows suit with a fireball, hitting the two males in their group. The broker gathers a bit of flame, hitting him, and flings part of it back at them. But Tiberius takes a deep breath and sucks it in, swallowing the flames and blowing some out of his nostrils. I'm not sure what that was. I don't remember what that signified, but he definitely I, I, his resistance to fire. That's right. Scanlan focuses on the female and casts Eyebite at her, forcing her to fall asleep. Grog uses it as an opening to get behind her, then uses the Javelin of Lightning, the energy striking the sleeping woman and sticking the broker, draining the last bit of confidence he had left. The pro-man gets up and charges Vax, find, uh, uh, finding the shield of anti-life and swings a spear through the, fe- through the field, but misses wildly. Vax turns fair by throwing three daggers at him in front of him, which I believe is where we got Dagger 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 from. I think it was this moment. Was was Dagger Dagger Dagger? Yeah, Dagger 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 Dagger's been a thing for Has it, been? Uh, it predates this one, yeah. Mm-hmm. Doesn't I, I don't remember when Dagger 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 started. Like a two or three episodes in, uh, I think. Yeah, ways back. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, yeah. Anyways. Uh, uh Percy steps forward next to Vax, yelling at the man chasing the new tiefling <laughs> ally, telling him to run away. He fires once and twice, both hitting the third, uh, b- b- before both hitting before the third misses, uh, and yells again. Keep firing at the fourth and fifth hit. Uh, though the sixth shot causes a misfire and causes the gun to lock up. Uh, he sort of continues pulling the trigger, not realizing that he's out of bullets, and realizing that he's blown a hole in the chest of the broker, who crumples to the ground. You know, stop moving! Bam, bam, bam! Stop running away! Bam, bam, bam! Oh, I've killed you. Uh, he looks over. Didn't to the other he two. do the whole "Your soul is forfeit" screen? Oh yeah. Uh, yes, yes. This was yeah. where. Yes, this is where your soul is forfeit came from. That's right. As he kills the broker and flips his mask down. Yep. Actually, I think he pulled his mask down and then yelled that at the other guys, doesn't it? I don't remember. Definitely, your soul is forfeit happened though. 
uh, which is yet more, which is sort of a really fun continuation of the Percy going down a dark road thing, uh, where, you know, first he was shooting, first he shot this kid in the hand. Now he's just like not realizing how, how like he killed a person without realizing it. Yep. Which, which is sort of, uh, 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 an evidence of how far he's going. Uh-huh. Um, the the man nearest the, the, the man that was with him wasn't phased, but the woman tries to flee. Uh, she gets to her feet and Missy steps away from Grog, tending to cast a spell to run away, which is countered by Tiberius. Uh, she looks at him, whimpers a bit, and takes off running in the other direction. Now, at this point, you could theoretically, uh, um, you can end the fight. End the fight. Yep. Scanlan uses eye bite to keep her to put her back to sleep as the others kill the the remaining guy. Um, and as she lays there asleep, defenseless, Tiberius pulls out his new blade. <laughs> Fucking unbelievable. And uses telekinesis. Not his new blade. His crawl multi blade. That's right. Yes. His his <laughs> his chakram. His chakram. His chakram. He pulls uh, out his chakram. Fucking believable. And uses telekinesis to buzzsaw her in half. Since she's unable to defend herself. Since she is geriatric, unconscious, and helpless. Uh, sorry, the other guy isn't dead yet. The group closes in on him and showing yeah, him that he still, has no He's options. still stuck in the glue arrow. Hmm? Yes, that's right. He requests an honorable death as Vex rips his mask away uh, as he struggles to break free from the tar holding him. Under the mask, his face is badly scarred from some kind of acid burn. He again asks for death, but Vex refuses to end his life as he fights with the trap holding him. The Broker... Now animated, as because Lilith went over to the broker's dead body and uh, used uh, animate dead. Motherfucker. Yep. Uh, is told to go back to her sister, showing them his failure and hopefully preventing further attempts to track her down. Um, after being looted by the dragonborn, who uh, yes, Tiberius loots the walking corpse. Um, because apparently the- we just need to go full bore with this shit at this yep. point. <laughs> uh, he- heading heading south towards Lilith's home. Vex loots the woman's course before turning her attention to the man they have trapped. Uh, he tells Lilith her sisters give, give him purpose, taking him in when no one uh, else would because of his disfigurement. She tells him if he wants true purpose, he should go to Vasselheim and seek out the Slayer's take. They will give him a way to use strength. As he walks out, the rest of the group makes their way to Grayskull for a much-needed night's sleep. I, and that's the end of the episode. But I want to talk about letting this fucker live, but murdering the old lady on the ground. Right? Like, what the fuck? So, this is a bit of... We're going we're gonna to end this episode talking about cognitive nar- narrative narrative dissonance. Yep. Uh, with cognitive narrative dissonance, I think is the full term. But, but um, which is when what you know about characters or what you know about a story and what has been written don't match up. <laughs> Basically, contradictory events, beliefs, or ideas being yeah. expressed via narrative. 
this is a thing that happens that, that people claim happen a lot with video games when people actually mean just stories they don't like because yeah. quite often it, most of the time what this should be brought up when there's an internal inconsistency with the story for instance uh, a pacifist pulling out a shotgun and going full bore annihilate murdering a uh, you know a town full of people that would be narrative dissonance because this his professed pacifist just murdered a bunch of people for no apparent reason. Yeah. Um, Cognitive dif- dissonance is what happens anytime someone votes against their own interests. Yeah, yeah. This is, and I think you know, I, I'm I'm gonna be spoiler free because it's still a fairly new film, but there has been a lot of criticism of 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 one of the main characters in Star Wars: The Last Jedi. And how they act under the heading of cognitive dissonance, which is not accurate. Yeah. It's a story that again, that's a storyline and character decisions that they don't necessarily like, but it is not inaccurate to the character. Yeah. And doesn't fall under that thing because people are complex and can make different things. Yeah. The reason I pull it up here though is because this it's is because where clear this is the most clear cut case of cognitive dissonance, I think. Yeah. Um because if they had killed everybody, that'd be one thing. Yeah. If they had let if they had killed the broker and let the other two go, that'd be another thing. But to kill the broker, which was Percy, which was fine, and then Casually, brutally murder a helpless old lady. <laughs> brutal. Uh, yes. Oh my god. And then, in almost the same breath, turn to the other guy and go, "You can go. You need to redeem yourself. You can redeem yourself." The person who was actively trying to run away and not fight anymore got punished. The person who kept fighting and only stopped because he couldn't fight anymore got redeemed. Basically says this group of people are a bunch of psychopaths who have no moral code at all. That's not true from what we've learned about them. And I feel like they got a talking to after this episode, after this session. Oh, they get more than a talking to. I mean, outside of the oh, outside oh, of the okay. game, I feel like they got a talking to about this session afterwards. I felt like they, they all got very caught up in the moment. Um, the players, that is. But it it shows like it is it's a it's a very clear cut case of these characters just do decisions in the moment and don't actually think about what they're doing or why they're yeah. doing it. Um, which in narrative is a big problem that a lot of people have. Uh, to to, to give you an example, um, I'm not nothing specific, but I did an audition uh, not too long ago. Um, about a character who was described as being hate-driven and noble. Which, noble, I'm assuming, not in terms of his uh, birth hierarchy. No, no, no. Noble personality. Yeah. He has a noble side to him. Which, if you have any idea of descriptors, are opposites. Um... And 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 there's a problem that a lot of first time writers have, especially when writing characters, where they write what is cool at the moment, 
or what fits at the moment or what they want to happen at the moment with no, with no, with no uh, thinking of what this character's personality is or should be. Now, you can have both of those descriptors applied to a single character. However, one of them has to be stated as this is a front they put out, but they are really the yeah. other mm-hmm. one. You know, and they're and that is a very strong, I would say, character choice to make because that's honestly how most people go about their lives. You have a front that you put out for the general public that you may only drop around your closest friends or your family or your significant other, or, you know, we all know those people who appear one way in general, but when you really get to know them are somewhat different and that can be good or bad, depending on what's the reality and what's the the hypocrisy or what's the, the facade that they're putting out there. But saying that these are two foundational, very true aspects of the character's individuality at the same time, that's, that's contradictory. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and it's, a, it's, it's a thing where basically a lot of like writers want their character to be able to have multiple dramatic scenes um, and want that all justified in the character's personality beforehand so that they don't then have to actively justify it later. And it's, it's just poor writing. Um, it's, 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 it's lazy in a lot of senses because you don't want to you don't want to go through the effort of justifying these these moments and that's a big source of cognitive dissonance a cognitive narrative dissonance in in stories is when you don't earn that moment when you don't justify it properly and this is one of those moments where they everything they've done up to now does not justify the actions that happened at the end if they had gone fully one way, if they've gone fully the other way, those two things have been justified previously. But splitting it down the middle makes no sense. Yeah. If, um, they, if they had either killed that last guy or if they had not killed the old lady, this would be a much more cohesive scene. Yeah. I mean, I feel like, I, I feel like the manner of death of the old lady... Is really hard to justify in any situation. Oh yeah, it is. But it would have been the, the the way it would have been justified would have been they got caught up in the moment and stopped thinking. I mean, I can potentially see that. It's but with with the, there with the are, I feel like you have to sort of stretch to come up with explanations of why specifically Tiberius does it. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, from a, but, from but a, from yeah, okay. Yeah, from but, a metafictional perspective, this looks like Tiberius either has a new toy that he hasn't gotten to use yet and is, has been chomping at the bit in order to be able to use, sees an opportunity and says, I'm going to use it. I've been wanting to use this, which, which is, is more a player worse. decision than a character decision. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, or like I, my opinion being that Tiberius sees Percy going all dark and out of control and says, ooh, dark and out of control. That looks like fun. I'm going to have my character go dark and out of control, too, and makes a an illogical character decision based on everything that's been happening thus far. And, like, there are in-character reasons that I can see to potentially explain it, but I don't think that they... I don't think there's enough... So- 
Like when I first saw this happen, I tried. I was like, "All right," with any kind of weird situation like this. I always try to see, okay, what are the in character reasons? Because we don't know these characters, you know, what's going on in their heads necessarily, unless they get a vax <clears throat> moment. Um, I was like, "All right, well, he did just get feeble mind, and that probably fucked with his head a little bit, but." In between the point where he was feeble-minded and the point where he does this murder, he's basically fine. So there's yeah. not really the justification for that. Like, like I, I, I tried to go through several different, like, well, maybe it was this, maybe it was this, but this is the character who, in battle, tends to be... Yes, he can be thoughtless at times, and he can he can accidentally fireball his own team. Um, but, or the but, Emperor's Guards. Or, or Emperor's Guards. That was another weird... Like, anyway, uh, the, the, but he tends to think... Uh, he tends to think tactically. And he tends to think of... Where will my where will my spells do the most most effective damage? And this wasn't even that. Like yeah. this was using telekinesis in a really odd way for a physical attack. Like there, it's so out of what we expect for Tiberius character wise that I don't feel there's any there's much of a way to justify. Yeah, which is why, like I said, if they had, if they had killed everybody. And yeah, it's like oh, the whole the group as a whole <laughs> just stopped thinking, <laughs> which they've done before. That we've seen evidence of that. If they had saved them, except for the broker, that's operating as yeah. a yeah. For for them to go half and half is part of the group stopped thinking, and the other part of the group stopped thinking enough that they. That that didn't bother them, at least not right now. But they were still thinking enough to re- to let the other guy who kept fighting and wasn't trying to run away. And that's an important point. Let's not, you know, what, Tiberius. Tiberius gets a lot of criticism for this uh, in this episode, and I think deservedly so. But let's not forget the fact that everybody else in the group, nobody said anything about it in character. Well, and I think I think the person that is actually worse than Tiberius is Scanlan, because Scanlan could just let her go. He is the one that put her to sleep again. I, I feel like that was fine up until the point where Scanlan didn't seem to give a shit that she got brutally slaughtered. Yeah, like you can you can eye bite someone or you can put someone to sleep who's trying to run away, and that's fine because it's a non lethal way of stopping it. When you do that, and then you just fold your arms, sit there and watch as your as your your apparent your friend telekinetically buzzsaws that 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 helpless <laughs> sleeping person to death and go, "Huh." Yeah. That's where it becomes a problem. So yeah, writers don't do that. <laughs> no. That's 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 the, that's the takeaway here. Have people react to shit. And as as a reminder, just to, and and to be clear that 
this is, comes from a place of love and understanding. It's like, yes. this is this is just like it baffles the mind, especially because this is the party that didn't trust the paladin of Bahamut because she was a little angry. Completely didn't bat an eye when Tiberius buzzsawed an old lady in half. I mean, they've they've seen some shit since then. <laughs> that they have. But just putting those two events aside, like Kima being angry at the people who captured and tortured her and brutally murdering the person who was torturing her raises ire with the party and mistrust. Yeah, Tiberius brutally murdering an old lady who was trying to run away and is currently asleep and helpless on the ground raises nothing. Yep. That's cognitive dissonance. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) In a nutshell. Uh, And this has been Critical Thinking. Uh, We will hopefully be back on time next week. Uh, Yeah. So thanks for listening. Let's say goodbye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Goodbye. (laughs) Goodbye.